You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here today. And I want to start by just telling everyone that served this week during our Let's Go Week, thank you, because you guys are making a huge difference in our city. If you don't know, this entire past week has been Let's Go Week. We served over 40 different individuals and organizations in our city. And and, uh, it was just a phenomenal week with so many great stories. We served uh, the Second Harvest Food Bank. We served CARM, Haven House, the Pregnancy Resource Center, uh, Center, uh, Rockford Elementary School, and the Habitat for Humanity, the Boys and Girls Club, and many, many more. And you guys know that our mission here. Our vision is to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. And so I truly believe that as we grow in our faith and we mature in our faith, we recognize the value and importance of actually being the hands and feet in our city. It's great to come here and to serve each other, and we're going to do that. But it's paramount that we also serve our city and show the people of this city that we truly care about them and love them. And so I'm so grateful for a church that is committed to the city. And so thank you for doing that. Uh, Today, We're going to continue in our series entitled Nomance. It's a series on sex, love, and dating. If you missed last Sunday, we talked about dating. I encourage you to go online and you can catch up and watch that. Uh, Today, I want to start by talking to you about some of the results of the survey that you took over the last two weeks. I asked you guys to fill out an intimacy survey online. You did that, and some uh, really cool statistics and good information uh, uh, came to me as a result. So let me, let me just share it. First of all, one of the questions was, how often do you say something nice to each other? And uh, 41% of you said not enough. And so, okay, just something as easy as saying uh, something nice to your spouse. Four out of 10 uh, couples in the room aren't doing a good job at that. So we've learned something already. Another question was, how often do you compliment your spouse? And so we've been talking about complimenting and encouraging and those kinds of things. And, and uh, 50% of the men have admitted that they are not doing that enough, ladies. And so um, uh, on one hand, 50% of the men in the room uh, who are married acknowledge that they suck, Okay. <laughs> And then the other 50% are in denial. And so we've got our work cut out for us a little bit there. Um, One of the other questions was, how often do you give each other a surprise? And 75% of the men and women who were married who did the survey said they didn't do that enough. And so we talked about throughout this series how, you know, a boring marriage is really the enemy of romance. And so... Those surprises are so encouraging and helpful, you know, whether it's a gift, whether it's a thoughtful card, a thoughtful word, uh, you know, a date night surprise, whatever we can do, you know, to surprise and, uh, our spouse and get out of uh, the, the, the monotony is going to add flair to the marriage. And then for our talk today, this one was uh, important. The question was, how often do you enjoy sexual intimacy? And 56% of the men said not often or rarely. And surprisingly, you might think this is uh, surprising, but maybe not, I don't know. Uh, 51, or sorry, 52% of the women actually said that they are not experiencing enough or rarely. And so obviously it's an issue, even within our own couples and our own marriages in our church, like the, the, the sexual relationship is not up to par. Like it's not happening or it's not happening well or it's not happening well enough. And so there are issues. And, 
And so I, I think in the marriage, what we want to talk about today, and I think uh, our, our scripture in, in the Song of Solomon chapter 4, uh, you can go ahead and turn there, is going to give us the direction and going to give us an outline. It's going to give us some, some characteristics of what the Christian bedroom should be experiencing and can experience and what God wants it to experience. Um, I think this is a familiar story, but the husband maybe might tend to neglect the relational part of the relationship. And so he's not really pursuing his wife. He's not developing that friendship. And as a result, his wife doesn't feel valued. She doesn't feel cared for. And um, they're not having fun together. And, uh, I, I, you know, men typically, even though that might be happening, they want to go into the bedroom and have fun. And let me just start by saying this today. If, if, if you aren't having fun in the living room, you're not going to have fun in the bedroom. And so for us, we want to really hone in on the concept here that as men, we've got to develop that relationship outside of the bedroom. Ladies, you've got to be intentional as well to develop that relationship outside of the bedroom. Because the husband will feel like he is a man or his masculinity will be affirmed in two ways. Achievement, that's tangible. You know, I perform well. I get, you know, paid more. I, I, I move up in the organization. So achievement. And then in the area of sex, this is how he feels like the man because he walks into this bedroom as a married man and he wants to be the man, right? And if he's neglected his wife outside the living room, instead of being affirmed in the bedroom, and instead of being in the bedroom feeling like the man, he actually might find a wife that is distant, who is cold, or who is perhaps even angry. And so instead of feeling that affirmation in the bedroom, he experiences disappointment, frustration, and in fact, he feels rejection and he feels like a failure. The wife will then get blamed by the husband because you don't love me or you don't care about my needs. When in fact, it might not be that she's disinterested. It might not be that she doesn't love you. Perhaps it's because she is unwilling. That could be a problem. She's unwilling to do it. Or she's incapable of turning the relational switch on in the bedroom while her husband keeps the relational switch turned off in the living room. Does that make sense? See how the two connect and how the two really play into hand uh, together. The, the wife feels affirmed and loved and cared for when the relationship is strong and they're having fun outside. The husband feels you know, like a man and affirmed and loved when the relational switch is turned on in the bedroom. And so it's not an either or, it's a both and. We have to be willing to develop this relationship uh, outside the bedroom and inside the bedroom. Think of it like this, though, for many marriages in the room. Have you ever been on a hike or, or maybe just, you know, walking down the road and you get a rock caught in your shoe? And, you know, at first you're like, oh, what is that? And it's uncomfortable and you keep walking and, and, and you don't necessarily want to stop and take care of it. And you just want to keep going. And then eventually, you know, it might get caught in the right spot in the shoe and you put pressure on it and boom, and it hurts, right? And then, you know, at that point, you finally, you know, have to stop, take off your shoe, shake out the rock, put it back on, then you can kind of move forward. Well, for many marriages, they get a relational rock in their marital shoe. 
and instead of dealing with it, they just kind of keep going even though it's uncomfortable. And they just keep plowing ahead. They don't change their schedule. They don't go talk to a counselor. They don't talk to a pastor. They don't talk to a friend. They don't pray about it. They don't, they don't read a marriage book together to kind of work on it. They just keep going, man. They just keep plowing ahead. More problems come, more situations arise, and they just plow around and they just keep going, right? Just ignore it. It's not until you actually stop what you are doing. Recognize that there is a painful situation taking place in your marriage. You've got to stop what you're doing, change your routine, and get that rock out of your shoe. Then and only then will God begin to heal and bring you back together. But for some people, they're just ignoring this rock. They're just ignoring these problems. They're not dealing with them. And, and the problem is you don't want to just settle for an average marriage. In fact, your marriage might be hanging by a thread. In fact, some of you might even be considering divorce. Like your kid's future is at stake here. Your happiness and, and, and your faithfulness is really on the chopping block here. Like we have to take this serious. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we begin to wrap our arms around this today? Well, let's learn this lesson, that, that sex is not the fuel of a good marriage. Sex is the fruit of a good marriage. And so it's not like I'm going to teach you today how to make this, you know, bedroom stuff awesome or whatever, because if you just do that more, then you're going to have a great marriage. That's not the case. In fact, when you have a healthy marriage, the bedroom will be fruitful. And so we don't want to get that reversed. We don't want to think that we can, we can you know, just you know, focus on the sexual part of things and that's going to heal all of the problems. Sometimes men might think that. Some of you who are single, you're in college, you're, you're, you're a student, whatever, it's like you think that the, the sexual part is going to bring you closer to this person. You're going to kind of kick the tires before you buy the car. You know, we're going to move in together or whatever. And the hopes that that sexual relationship is going to bring you together, but it cannot and it will not because God designed it and he created it. And when we mishandle God's creation, then it never fulfills and it will never operate in a way that he didn't intend for it to operate. And so we're never gonna get that intimacy and that physical you know, uh, relationship that we so desire when we're misusing sex. But it will be the fruit of a good marriage if the other things are right. In fact, if the other things that we're gonna talk about today, if we get them right, then in fact, I think we will have the bedroom that we have so desired. So in your Bibles, in the Song of Solomon, chapter four is where we're going to begin. This is the wedding night. And so uh, they, they've committed their lives to each other. The wedding has taken place and this is that night together. Verse one, Solomon says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn hues that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is love lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies, until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love, 
There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. What we're seeing here, and if you're taking notes, the Christian bedroom ought to be a place of encouragement. That'd be a place of encouragement. We see and have seen as we've worked our way through this book that Solomon is constantly affirming her and encouraging her with his words. Now the time to consummate their wedding vows has arrived. Remember earlier in the book she said, don't, you know, don't, don't let love take its roots before it's ready. Don't, don't rush it. It's not time. And now she is saying and, and we are seeing that it is in fact time. But God teaches us even in this chapter that there are some preliminaries before the main event. And so what we're seeing here is Solomon encouraging and affirming his new bride. And so I would say, men, women, are we affirming and are we encouraging our spouse with these words? Men, we have got to encourage our wives' physical appearance. In a world that is bent on, you know, what a supermodel ought to look like, insecurities abound. And so as men, we've got to go the extra mile affirming and encouraging our spouse's body and her, her features and, 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 and her personality. And, and we want to affirm that. And, and ladies, perhaps he is in fact encouraging you, but you're not receiving it. Because in your mind, how could anyone actually think I look good? How could anybody love me? And so for you, you've got to, as you grow closer to the Lord, trust him in what he says and believe what he's saying. You see, I think we, we see this and we're seeing a man, we're seeing uh, him create this environment in the bedroom that is in fact encouraging. And, and what he's doing is he's using his words. So it's not like we, we said it, you know, when we got married or we said it then. We don't have to say it anymore. No, it's something that is constantly a part of our relationship, that we're constantly communicating with our spouse and constantly encouraging her with our words. This is not um, uh, anything new. Women are just wired differently, aren't they, than, than men. And, and they talk a lot more than men. They need to talk more than men. Uh, studies have shown that women actually talk three times as much as men. And so they need to talk. And so before marriage, we have men who are talking their heads off with their wife and then they get married and then all of a sudden, you know what? They stop talking. All they really need is ESPN and red meat and we're pretty simple. But wives need to communicate. They're much more complex than men are in those ways. And so, guys, if you're coming home from work and you know, you're not really communicating when your wife says, how was your day? And you're just kind of saying, fine. And you're watching TV, you're on the internet, and then you guys kind of eat together, but you're not really talking. And then you go back to you know, the TV and then you expect to go have fun in the bedroom after the kids go to bed. <laughs> You got a better chance of flying to the moon today, right? I mean, the, the reality is men, men just don't live in reality when it comes to sex. We just, we just don't. We live in a fantasy world. We actually think that, you know, our wives are going to show up in the best Victoria's Secret outfit right as halftime begins. And then we can go have fun in the bedroom and, and be done and be back just in time for the third quarter. I know, we're sick. We're sick. This is how we think. This is gross. But we've got to learn, guys, that our wife needs face-to-face -face time. She, she needs to have 
communication. She needs to talk with you. And this is frustrating for a lot of guys that I talk to because a lot of guys, we just like the headlines. Headlines is all we need. We don't read a blog. We just read the top and maybe, you know, the big points. We don't read the whole article on, on whatever news, you know, app that you're using. You just kind of read the top. You kind of skim. Women are different. Women need details. They don't want to just know that you ate lunch. They want to know where and what you had and who you ate with. And they don't just want to know that your day was fine. They want to know what made your day fine. And, and so for guys, it's like, are you kidding me? I, I've talked all day. I don't want to talk anymore. But we've got to put her needs ahead of our own. And we need to have that face-to-face time. And we need to be more intentional about talking to our spouse. So men are more like microwaves. They heat up pretty quick, right? Ladies, you're more like a crock pot. It takes time for you to marinate and to, and to warm up. And so, guys, this is why it's important to develop that relationship outside of the bedroom. Like, you, you have to spend time developing and affirming and encouraging. And, 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 and as that environment and that, that, that place uh, begins to develop and become healthier, then the bedroom becomes a lot more fun. Wives, uh, I would say to you that you've got to meet your husband's need for physical stimulation. So husbands have to meet the need for communication and encouragement, encouraging words. Wives need to meet the needs of their husbands for physical stimulation. Um, wives are more likely to be moved through words. Men are more likely to be moved with sight and with touch. And so he is moved by what he sees. And what we see here in the first eight verses is a man who is describing eight different body parts of his new bride. And on a close observation, I've taken Hebrew, by the way, I've studied the Hebrew and all the syntax and read all the commentaries, and I cannot find any proof that she was wearing oversized sweatpants to bed that night. Say, it wasn't happening. And so I'm trying to biblically show that that's nowhere in the Bible, right? And so uh, what... (laughs) The, the, the thought, though, is the only thing that we do see that she's wearing is a veil. So her body is completely exposed, right? And so what, what, what we see here is he's, he's, he's giving us a, a brief overview of everything that he sees, and he's comparing it to various things and showing and telling us how lovely and amazing it is. And verse 1, he says, your hair is a flock of goats. Now, if you're single <laughs> and you're looking for pickup lines, this isn't the one to go to. <clears throat> However, it would have been, you know, music to Shulamite's ears to hear this. He talks about her lips and her mouth, how they are both prizes of pleasure. Her cheeks are like pomegranate, sweet and attractive to the eye. Her neck is like the Tower of David. In other words, she stands strong. She stands tall. She's confident in who she is. She's neither slumped in embarrassment of who she is or she's or she's not timid at all. She's strong in her love. In verses five and six, he draws his attention to her breast and he compares them to two fawns of a gazelle. This is not inappropriate. What we see through this is that a man's desire for his wife's body is holy and is good and is right. To deny that desire, ladies, would, would be antithetical to what the scripture teaches us. It would be against what God would want. And so, so I would encourage you to, to respond and to embrace the fact that he desires you. This is God's gift to him. And this is God's gift to you 
as well, that your husband would desire you receive that. And I think what the men have to learn is, is uh, we've got to be able to touch our wife's heart before we go touching any gazelles. And that's all I'm going to say <laughs> there. The theme, though, is that Solomon is giving before he is receiving. And what a concept, right? That, that men would actually think more about pleasing our spouse. That ladies would actually think more about pleasing their husbands than pleasing themselves. That we would actually do what Jesus calls us to do and to deny our pleasures, to deny what we want, and to put the needs of our husband, our wife, in front of our own needs. What a concept, right? We surely couldn't do that. And yet this is what Jesus calls us to do. This is what we see Solomon doing for his wife. He is satisfying her. He is pleasing her. In verse 7, he goes so far as to say, there's no flaw in you. I mean, she's not perfect here. No one is perfect. But in Solomon's eyes, she perfectly is fit for him. In verse 8, he invites her to join him. So he's not forcing. He's not charging in. He's not demanding. He's simply inviting And she is responding. Let's continue in verse 9. He says, You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. And he continues to shower her with praise And with encouragement, he's captivated by her. His heart is hers. And notice that he calls her his bride five times. So again, we want to understand that sex has been designed for the covenant of marriage, not outside marriage. And so I think this intimacy, this sexual desire was and is intended to be experienced only in marriage. And in fact, I believe it only can be experienced in marriage. And it's only experienced in a marriage where two people are committed to the Lord Jesus. And as they grow closer to him, they seek to honor him, then the relationship is deep. He calls her his sister. Now, this isn't literally his sister. This is just a term of endearment at this time. And, 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 and this uh, is like a term of affection. And then in verse 11... He says, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. So he's finding honey and milk under his tongue. Let's just suffice it to say the French did not invent kissing. We see this in the ancient Near East way before them. And then he says, the fragrance of your garment is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Now, this is important too because Closely behind sight, um, smell is important to a guy. You know, that, that, that fragrance that he is, is, is sharing and that he's talking about is there because men are, are wired that way. There's sight, there's touch, but then there's also smell. And, and so, you know, ladies, if you're you know, wearing flannel PJs and you smell like bleach, <laughs> you might want to take a few notes today. Because what she is doing is is she is pursuing her husband in all of these subtle ways. And what she is wearing or not wearing, what she is, 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 uh, how she smells. So what she has done, you know, to, to make herself smell that way. All of these things are her attempts to actually woo her husband in 
and, and, and create even more desire you know, for sexual intimacy to actually take place. Let's continue in verse 12. She says, um, he says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. And he goes in to explain all kinds of different fragrances and all kinds of spices and, and choice fruits. The point here, if you're taking notes, that the Christian bedroom is a place of encouragement. But secondly, the Christian bedroom is a place of exclusive passion. And so it should be exclusive. So she begins by saying, he begins by saying, a garden locked is my sister, a fountain sealed. So the reality is here again, we're taught maybe in a subtle way. And so don't blow by this, actually hear this and receive this. If you're single, if you're a student, like the greatest gift that you can give to your future spouse is the, is the purity that you have committed to today. So she has been a garden locked. Her body has been locked down for anyone else to enjoy. It's been a fountain that has been sealed. No one else enjoys this body. This body is not for the world to see on Instagram. This body is not for people to lust at over on Facebook. You know, my body is locked and covered for my husband and he will enjoy it one day. Men, same is true for you. As you are seeking to pursue a wife, the greatest gift that you can give your future wife is your purity today. That you would lock your body down and you would not give it to you know, anyone else. The second thing that we learn in the area of exclusivity is once we do make this commitment and make this covenant to, to be united with a spouse, that we focus on exclusive sex with her, with him. Like this is this is not for anyone else. The Bible says sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage, sex with anyone outside of your spouse is adultery. It is sin. 1 Corinthians 6 says to flee from sexual immorality. And so as we are drawn to our spouse, what we are committing to is an exclusive relationship of passion. We see Shulamite here opening herself up to the man that she loves. And her garden is an exotic array of fruits and flowers and plants and trees and all these wonderful things. And, and to find all of these things in one person would seem unimaginable. But Solomon finds it all in his bride. And she satisfies him. She's not locked up anymore. She's not sealed any longer. She makes herself accessible and available. Another good point here for the, the, the wives in the room. Are you making yourself accessible? Are you making yourself available to your husband? A place of exclusive passion. And then let's continue in verse 16. It says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. This is Shulamite talking. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden. Notice that, that, that preposition there. His garden. And eat its choicest fruit. Solomon says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I get my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. This is the event. It's, it's very erotic, no doubt. But this is the two of them enjoying their sexual union. So the Christian bedroom, if you're taking notes thirdly, is a place of sexual enjoyment. 
In fact, you should be enjoying this. This is a gift that God has given to you to enjoy. She invites her spouse to make love finally in verse 16. She's been listening to every word from her husband. And now is the right time. She is ready. The time is right. She carries this garden imagery in this scene. Solomon has done a great job in the living room. All the preliminary work. Aces, man, he has done a great job. Now... He's able to have fun and enjoyment in the bedroom. Don't lose sight of that word. So ladies, here's what you've got to understand. Let me just be real with you for a moment. Sex in your marriage is not the most important thing in the world. However, sex is an important thing in your marriage. If you turn off the faucet and things go dry sexually in your marriage, do you realize That your husband has zero, nada, zilch. He has no other legitimate way to have those sexual needs met outside of sin. Does that make sense? Like he has no other option. If it's dry, man, and, and you've rejected and it's not happening, and even when it does happen, it's so routine and mechanical and it's just not a good experience anyway. If that is your marriage, your husband has no legitimate option outside of you so this is important anything else he would do would be sin and trust me he will begin to legitimize that sin he'll begin to play that well my wife's not doing this so this is okay he's he's tempted right now I guarantee that so this is important we've got to understand this first Corinthians 7 5 says do not deprive one another except by mutual consent it's talking about sex and marriage So don't deprive one another of this. So this is a command, right? Now listen, I know you're like, but he's a jerk. I hate him. I don't like him. I get all this, right? I'm just laying some groundwork here. We've got to build off of this talk today. This is not the one and done sermon that changes everything, right? Like this this is something that we're adding to. But we do need to understand that this this is, is a result of sin in our life. If there's not mutual consension here, then it's not right. And so so how do we how do we uh, how do we get to a better place if you're constantly denying? then you're rejecting and building a barrier between you two, but you're also, because it's, it's a non-biblical thing, you're also hindering your relationship with God. So there are other implications here. So I would just say, if you're saying no, 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 no all the time, you are breaking that fellowship. Don't just say no. Say no with a caveat. You know, like not today, but maybe Tuesday, right? Give some hope, right? <laughs> I have a neighbor, and uh, they have... Um, they have these dogs and they put those shock collars on them, you know, and they bury the, the invisible fence. And so, you know, when you first are, I guess when they're first, sorry, when they're first learning uh, about this, when they get close to the boundary, boom, they get shocked, right? And so they, they get close, they learn it, boom, okay, and I, what do they do? They, they stop going to the boundary. And uh, what, what, you know, I've been told is that in some cases, you know, dogs get so used to that barrier that you could actually take off the shock collar and they still won't go there just because they're so familiar they know they're going to get shocked. And so, you know, when you think about marriage and the sexual relationship here, some men in the room and maybe even some ladies, you know, you go to your spouse for, you know, that, that to occur, that to happen, and immediately when you're asking, boom, you're zapped. It's like, oh gosh, okay, well, you get zapped a couple times, and you slowly stop going to that intimate barrier, right? You, that intimacy uh, boundary. And you just kind of stop asking and you stop 
talking about it. And then it becomes that elephant in the room that we just, we know it's not good, but we're not going to talk about it because if I talk about it, I'm going to get zapped and I don't really want to argue and fight. So I'm just going to en- en- endure, you know, this temptation. I'm just going to watch the game and pretend like everything's okay. What a miserable way to interact with your spouse. There's a better way, actually. There's a more biblical way. I think it's going to require some more conversations. It's going to require some people letting go of some shame and some guilt in their life. It's going to require maybe a counselor. It's going to require a pastor. It's going to require you praying together as a couple. It's going to require perhaps picking up a book and reading it together and keeping the TV turned off and maybe skipping a few practices and, and not traveling so much with your kids to play and all these ridiculous you know, sporting events every weekend and, and, and actually focus on the most important person that God has given you, to you to steward and to manage and to love. I would encourage you never to use sex as a bargaining chip. If you do this, then I'll do this. That's a terrible, terrible way to treat your spouse. Like we are are called to a life of self-denial as we follow Jesus. The fifth or the fourth final thing is in chapter five. And this is what's interesting too. After he says this, the next phrase is actually God speaking. And God says, eat friends, drink and be drunk with love. If you're taking notes, the Christian bedroom is a place of spiritual approval. You see, God desires us to experience this kind of sexual intimacy. It is a gift from God to be enjoyed, and he blesses it, and he affirms it. Now, we grew up, you know, and if you went to church or you grew up in a family that was pretty dogmatic about sex, you heard, don't do it, don't do it, it's terrible, it's gross, it's terrible. And so you start believing this as a kid, but... But what you have to realize is, is that maybe, maybe our you know, parents or whatever didn't do a good job explaining the full picture. It's ugly and, 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 and terrible when you mishandle it. So if, if, you, if you experience sex before marriage, it will lead to dark, dangerous places filled with a lot of guilt and shame. But when you do it God's way, the way that he created you to experience it, then and only then is it a blessing and then you enjoy it and God affirms it. God has truly given us the gift. Now, so I go back to the point here of sex is not something that we can, can do to, to get a good marriage. It's not going to fuel a good marriage. But it is the fruit of a good marriage. And so if we're doing our work, if we're developing and having fun with our person, by the way, the best way to ensure that your marriage is going to be fruitful and last is to have fun together. If you're having fun in the living room, you'll, you'll have fun in the bedroom. Now, listen, I get it. We grew up thinking it was bad. Maybe you've had previous sexual experiences Maybe you've gone through some difficult situations as far as sex, and so you bring a lot of guilt, you bring a lot of shame, you have a lot of issues, and you brought a lot of baggage into the marriage. So what we have to do is we have to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. You know, you heard the gospel, and you received Jesus into your life. He saved you. Hopefully you were baptized, and you're, you're off and running in your relationship with God. But it's not like you only need that on, at Christmas and Easter. You need the gospel every single day of your life. And you need to read the gospel and apply it to your heart every day. You, you need to preach it to yourself because you're going to lie to yourself. The enemy's going to tempt you. The enemy's going to badger you and condemn you constantly. The world is going to condemn you. 
And so you've got to preach this gospel to yourself. And what is the gospel? That God sent his one and only son to die for miserable sinners like me and like you. And that through the cross of Jesus Christ, he has forgiven me of my sin. And this is what's amazing that we have to really, and, and, and really focus on. Like he didn't just forgive me of my past life and now I'm a new person and any previous sin or I mean any future sin, I'm gonna have to get forgiveness for and get saved again or, or do something When we're receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is forgiving who we are. He is declaring that we are righteous. He's justifying us. He's saying, Trent, no matter what you experienced in your past, I forgive you. You're a brand new person. And Trent, no matter what you do in the future, I forgive you. You're a brand new person. So this is the identity that I receive through Jesus. So this is why you have to preach it to yourself. There's no more need for shame. There's no more need for guilt. You preach the the truth of the cross. I'm a new person. The old Trent died. The old Trent was filled with sin. The new Trent is not. I still struggle with sin, but I'm not guilty for that. I'm I'm declaring that Jesus is, 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 is constantly growing me and I'm constantly fighting sin, but sin is always gonna be in my life. And yet I'm a brand new person. The old is gone, the new is before me. Now there's no more condemnation. And so listen, we've got to get this right because some of you are allowing Satan to use previous experiences and and even previous things in your marriage because of unforgiveness and bitterness to rob you of the joy of the sexual intimacy that God has ordained for you to experience in your marriage. See, if you don't get this right, you could live the rest of your life in a miserable state. If you don't get this right, the future of your kids' health is at stake because this is what we model to them. If you're on the road to divorce, you know, you're, you're gonna continue to cause issues in their life. Like it's not gonna get easier for you. It's gonna get even harder. If we don't get this right, then we're, we're actually gonna dishonor God. But just imagine what it would look like if you leave today and if you're single, Like if you're a student, if you leave today and be like, you know what, we're going to lock down the garden. That's my motto. My garden is locked, right? And you took that away from today, I would be like, God's going to bless that. God's going to honor that. If you took this away today and you said, you know what, we're going to change. We're going to get the rock out of our shoe. We're going to stop walking around, limping around like everything is okay. It's not. Can we just be honest? It's not. We need to talk about it. Maybe we need to talk to someone. We need to get help. We need to pray. We need to read. We got to change something. I hear people say, well, we went to counseling, didn't work. Well, I mean, my response is, you know, most of the time when it doesn't work, most of the time it's because we weren't willing to change. No, the person wasn't willing to make the change. And so we've got to walk away today willing to make some changes because if the 60% of the room are just, you know, saying, you know what, it's not happening enough, it's, it's happening rarely, it's not healthy, you got to make some changes because God wants you to enjoy this. God wants you to experience it. It's gonna relieve the temptations and the other sin, but it's also going to be a spiritual event for you because sex is, is spiritual before it's anything else. It's the two becoming one. It's denying my needs and blessing my spouse's needs. So here's the homework for today. When you leave, uh, I want you to ask your spouse this question. It's a very simple question. I think they're gonna put it up on the screen. Here it is. Just simply ask your spouse, what can I do this week to show you I love you? 
What can I do this week to show you that I love you and have that conversation? Write this down. Take a picture of the screen so you don't forget this, this, uh, uh, this statement. You've got to go home today. You've got to ask this question and you've got to talk about it. So husbands, ask your wife. Wife, ask your husband. Now, after the first service, we had people asking for, you know, girl weekends to Vegas and girl weekend. Like, that's not what I'm, you know, if that's what you're thinking, that's not the direction I was going with that. You know, a, a, hopefully this is something that br- brings you together. So what can I do to show you I love you, you know, together, right? And, and, and begin to talk about, and not just talk about, but actually do it this week. Now, ladies, you're going to say, he should know. He should know. We've been married 20 years. We've been married 10 years. I, he should know. I shouldn't have to tell. Listen, can we just be, we're not mind readers. We don't get it. <laughs> we haven't gotten it for 10, 20 years. We ain't going to get it. You got to tell us. And we would say the same to you. Like, we're, we got to tell you. You've got to receive this, right? And I believe if you go home today and you begin to ask this question this week, but not only this week, but this is a habit that you develop in your marriage, I believe God will begin to bless your marriage in incredible, incredible ways. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. God, I, I pray blessing over every marriage in this room, God. Lord, we want to just, we want to ask God that your presence and your power would just fill us and that you would motivate us to change. And God, that we wouldn't be satisfied with a miserable marriage but that we would pursue our spouse with love and create this environment where there's encouragement, where there's love, where there's affirmation. God, that we wouldn't just ignore, but that we would pursue. And God, I pray that you would bless the marriages sexually in this room, that moving forward as we seek relationship with each other, that you would would in fact bless that area of our life. Lord, I'm praying that you would help hearts to heal that we would preach the gospel to ourselves and that you would bless us every time that we do, that we would be drawn closer to who you are. God, we want to honor you with our life and with our marriage. We want to enjoy our friendship with our wife. We want to enjoy the intimacy in the bedroom that we so desire. God, put us on a path to receive that. Put us on a path, God, to honor you and to honor our spouse today. Lord, we love you, God, and we know you're the only answer to our issue, and we reach out to you. We cry out to you today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.